Hey, what's going on, guys? How's everybody doing? We'll get uh, started in a second. Give everyone a minute to get situated. Um, I want to do a... I've been talking about doing a uh, call. So first of all, shout out to the guys at Colin. You guys know they're available on every platform now. So if you if you're listening in live, that's great. But if you uh, if you're listening after the fact, uh, the shows are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well, um, as well as the uh, web link that I share after the fact uh, on my personal uh, call-in page. Um, I want to because every Tuesday and Thursday, you know, I do a quick call-in uh, right after I stream. Do like a calling for like half an hour. Um, and then Fridays, we run a little bit longer, but I want to start uh, doing call-ins similar to some of the Twitter spaces where there are multiple speaker speaker permissions that are um, given out. So I'm going to talk briefly and then I'll open it up. And if you uh, pop up in the lobby, I'll give you a speaker permission. And if multiple people pop up, I'll give them all speaker permissions. And we'll talk, uh, and I won't keep you guys too long because it's Friday and I want you to enjoy your weekend. I, I hope everyone goes about enjoying their summer because honestly, most people should uh, just more or less, you know, fuck off and come back at least uh, <laughs> at earliest Labor Day. Um, so we had CPI today. Uh, bad on, I think, all fronts, right? So bad on all fronts, market. It, it seemed like it was maybe setting up for what had, you know, previously occurred, um, sort of the, the game plan that I operate with uh, into CPI and a lot of times it took into the FOMC as well. It's been borderline, I would say, predictable. Um, not borderline. It has been it has been pretty predictable. You get a, you know, an initial move. Um, you know, I approach this pretty much direction agnostic unless we are, you know, unless we have some kind of print that is extreme. Um, that is like well outside of expectations either to the upside or the downside. And then at that point, you know, it's not that I'm looking to fade something, you know, two, 300 basis points after an initial move. Because at that point, if you have something very extreme, you know, there's a significant chance of overextension, right? A, a large overreaction in either direction. So I usually going into CPI, um, again, pretty agnostic as far as direction goes. And I just bracket out, bracket out like one, two, five and 10% bands. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, you'll look at previous CPIs and the lead in six to eight hours out leading into the release. Um, if it's directional, uh, if it's like semi one-sided, um, you'll see that the initial move usually will uh, be in that direction and then will revert, reverse and uh, basically swallow the entire structure that preceded the, the release. So, you know, in previous CPIs where there was a run-up, um, you know, some kind of positive drift overall, market spikes up, usually looking to take a quick mechanical trade, nothing extravagant whatsoever, just a very mechanical trade, trying to enter in at market, very small size and clip. And again, it's a mechanical trade. So I'm trying to get out at least, you know, 150 base points out of the move, max two, never holding on to it, expecting more. Um, again, unless maybe there's some kind of, you know, ridiculous number that we say, uh, but I clip this within that, um, within that range, because a lot of the times what you see is that's where a move really peters out. So you have something that might move to 300 basis points, and then it begins to develop a little bit of a consolidation. And then as soon as you lose like the last risk tagged on, so if you want to use like a anchored VWAP, very low time frame anchored from the point of the move. Uh, or if you're just paying attention to flow and seeing where bulk of the risk was tagged on, especially if you see a significant spike in open interest, um, as soon as you start to lose that, and if the number again is there's no like real material change, well, as soon as you start to lose that risk, the a lot of the times the positioning leading up to the, the release and that new positioning leads to a very significant unwind. And I've said in the past, significant enough that if I was late to the computer and I saw that we were coming back to the point which, you know, the original spike occurred, I would, you know, the case was the market had spiked up post CPI and then we're back towards the entry. A lot of times I'll just try to add fuel to that fire and sell into that. Uh, and you'll see a, a significant slingshot move in the opposite direction. So it's like, all right, you spec, you know, if you get 200 basis points to the upside, 
you're looking at at least 500 basis points to the downside, right? <clears throat> um, so we had uh, we had a spike down, hit that two percent, um, you know, two percent band, had a little bit of development, ended up taking a quick long, and I actually didn't get. Uh, so I, I let me clarify, I didn't even get to short the initial move. Um, and again, this is something where I'll short with very minimal size just to be able to get in because you're going to incur a ton of slippage. Uh, take a little bit off of that, but I didn't get to do that because my fucking platform wigged out on me right right after the release. So everything went blank. Um, so there's no point in, you know, you're, you're, you're late to the move anyway if you're just manually clicking. So there's no point in chasing that. Uh, but I ended up getting long around 2% looking for development and cut it because usually you want to see that you know, if you're going to start stalling out that you're going to, you're going to see that one side is getting off sides in this case, that sellers are continuously trying to hammer the low and price is able to, you know, consistently kind of drift higher on the low timeframes. Um, but there was none of that. It just looked like we were continuously drifting lower. And if anything, you know, it's at this point, you're, you're leaning in favor of further downside already. Um, because the numbers were ugly. Uh, and, you know, they might, some people that might not say that they were, you know, horrible, but uh, worse than expect, you know, expectations. Um, seeing that and seeing there was kind of a still a, a drift lower, I ended up just backing off, um, ended up opening up another short when we had a throwback. But <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 an interesting spot we're in. I mean, the one thing that I wonder, and, you know, it's not something that's uh, unique to me, is a lot of people saying the same thing is, is Powell going to start to having to defend his credibility and, and really throw something at the market? And, um, you know, maybe a 75 basis point, 100 basis point move um, hike. So we'll see. Um, yeah, very interesting times. Just it's, it, it's just a constant reminder, like, don't commit to any ideas because they have like a half-life of just a couple days. So, um, yeah, I want to open it up because it's Friday, like I said. I want to let uh, as many people talk as possible. Again, we could talk about anything. Shoot the breeze, talk the market, talk horses. Who cares? Doug, what's up, man? So let me give a, I'm going to give a couple people. Yeah, so we got a, a bunch of people um, hopping on. Let me see if I can give multiple speaker permissions. Let me get Marathon up here. Invite to speak. All right, Patrick. Invite to speak. The uh, Illmatic invite to speak, and obviously be mindful of um, everyone else in terms of just keeping a uh, proper conversation. I know it's it's you know it's tough to do this when you're on a, like this kind of format because one of the things is when you're communicating in a group of people, you're paying attention to their you know their gestures, whether or not they're starting to you know take a breath, to talk. So let's try to not talk over each other and. Um, yeah. All right. So everyone's been invited to speak. So now I think you have to just yeah. unmute yourselves. Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up, Marathon? Hey, doing well. Happy Friday. Um, yeah, likewise. You know, bro. Interesting uh, print today, obviously. I'm, you know, I don't think there's like much new directionally you can take from it, but, um, you know, as you mentioned, we're starting to get to a point where you can at least pay attention to how Powell has to react to this. And especially in conjunction with kind of the really low, um, you know, consumer sentiment numbers that are, that are printing and, you know, a lot of the recession talk that's coming up. But I think, you know, now uh, there's a couple of things people can be looking out for as far as like events or market circumstances that are actually going to force Powell to, you know, be in a situation where he would have to reverse or first other central banks globally to be in a situation where they're going to have to inject more liquidity. Um, you know, I don't think that's necessarily like a level on the S&P, but uh, one event could be if, you know, not like people on Twitter, but like people in the Fed and in the Treasury start, um, you know, have, forming a consensus that we're in a recession and yet treasury yields continue to rise. Uh, that's one thing to look out for. We've had yields go, you know, to what, like three, two on the 10 year today. I mean, they're, you know, kind of breaking into new highs. And actually, if you think back to March, 2020, like the first couple of days of the huge meltdown, you actually saw treasury yields move higher until they started to 
uh, cut rates to zero and inject QE that brought yields down and helped them finance a lot of the extra spending they were looking to do. So, you know, in a situation where we're seeing a recession um, that's becoming a consensus idea among the people that are actually in position of power from a policy perspective and yields are going up, that presents an actual physical constraint for them uh, because they won't be able to do anything to counteract the recession as long as rates remain very high. So, you know, that's one thing that I think would cause like gold and Bitcoin to kind of be the first movers off the low. And then another situation that we may see a little bit sooner is, um, you know, physical resources constraints in Europe. Um, you know, we're kind of moving into the summer months where they don't have uh, a lot of, or, or like the same energy constraints as they do when it's cooler out. But as we move into the fall, um, you know, and say Russia is still backing its currency with, with uh, oil and, um, the ruble remains kind of the strongest uh, currency globally over the course of the year. And they're still demanding, um, you know, payment for, for oil in, in rubles. Um, it, it's very possible that, you know, basically the only choice that Europe's going to have due to, you know, their really poor fiscal position um, is to, you know, print money uh, to come up with the money to actually pay as the, the ruble continues to strengthen and the euro continues to weaken. Um, they're not going to be able to, they don't, they don't actually have any money to, you know, provide themselves with energy um, or, you know, they're going to have to basically let their people freeze um, because the U.S., I mean, Biden basically promised to fill the gap, but we actually don't have like the LNG uh, pipelines and this, this ability to bring it over there to fill the gap that, that, you know, they're missing if they're not getting the gas from Russia. So um, depending on, you know, how strong the ruble is um, and, you know, the ability for Russia to continue kind of backing their currency with oil and having it, you know, perform well, you can see the ECB as really the, not only the, the weakest kind of central bank monitoring, you know, a fiscal union, uh, just in that their fiscal position is really poor and, you know, inflation in Germany, like PPI inflation is 30% or something insane and they're, you know, Treasury yield, the boons are like under 1%. So there's no ability to hike rates to like get that back to neutral. So they, they don't have any options besides, you know, if, if the status quo continues, besides like filling the gap with extra money that they just print. So, you know, one way or another, I think the Fed put now or the central bank put really is a resource constraint, be it, you know, in Europe, finding natural resources um, or in the U.S. kind of financing uh, spending to get us out of a recessionary situation as yields rise. Can I, um, can I ask you if that question? makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, because um, so the way you phrased it is as though if um, if inflation continues to run hot and um, we're in a recession, the Fed's going to pick uh, is going to start injecting liquidity. Is the understanding I have? Yeah, I mean, I would. Yeah, I think like. You know, historically, at least in situations where the U.S. has entered recession, um, you know, and it's been an understood recession, not just something like now where, uh, you know, sentiment is poor. Um, you know, the, the response has been, you know, to, to do something, I, I basically. And the U.S. now on the fiscal side has has no, you know, ability to kind of do something based on their position, you know, from a debt perspective. But would love to hear what you have to uh, it, it's too. It's a different scenario, right? Like every time... This has yeah. been a thing. We were the U.S. was able to inject liquidity, right? Like inflation wasn't running as hot as it is now. Right now, it's literally a binary. It's like if the if a recession hits, right? Which I think we're already in one by all metrics. But the boomers say inflation, and we have high runway inflation, and we have a recession. I think, right? And it makes more sense that they have to tackle inflation over the recession. And the reason why that is is because you can't really have a functioning economy without price stability, right? Like, how can, yeah. you, how, how can you begin to even think about an economy if you don't know what the fuck anything is worth? Sorry for swearing, but yeah. Oh, no, of course. I mean, I think the constraint is the ability to finance uh, interest, interest payments on treasuries. So we have had this bubble due to asset price bubble on tax receipts for the U.S. government, but now there won't be any kind of capital gains tax receipts on net for next year, um, incomes on a real basis are dropping. And um, in general, you've got a, a debt situation that's getting worse because there are no net buyers of treasuries. You have uh, yes. foreign selling treasuries, you have 
um, I agree. institutions selling treasuries and you have the Fed selling treasuries. So as yields continue to go up, the constraint yep. is not what, um, you know, what like like what we want to do from a political perspective or like the necessity of price uh, stability for like a functioning economy. It's actually the ability for the U.S. Treasury to finance its own obligations. And, you know, there is a level of yields where that becomes impossible. And where would you start to spiral? Oh, it's it's very. I mean, I don't know the. I think we're almost number. there. Um, so, so what I'm saying, the response in that situation has to be to, you know, basically do like a form of yield curve control, which yeah. does involve injecting significant liquidity. Yeah, that's right. So Arthur's uh, <clears throat> Arthur's essay. He's been talking about that for a long time now. Unfortunately, yeah. he started talking about that like twenty thousand dollars higher. But um, you know, one thing that I think of is like how does this all end, right? Like what is the, the end game with this, with just the, the constant injection of liquidity at some point? It almost feels intentional, doesn't it? It's like anybody off the street would know if you kept chucking big swaths of money into an economy that was already doing really good. Like we had COVID, we didn't produce much, and yet stocks kept making all-time high after all-time high. Like anybody with two brain cells knew that this was because people literally saw that there was a Fed put and they didn't let the market go any lower, right? So that like pushed everything to unsustainable levels. Now you're kind of like at a point where, well, shit, what do you do, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's... Um, it's it is a rock very, and a hard place. The, the, but people <laughs> yeah, were saying this. Schiff, Schiff was saying this for a while. Mohammed Al-Aryan was saying this for a while. Yeah. There was lots of people who were saying like, if they... If they don't get a control on this, like you're going to be in a situation where you're you're done regardless. There's nothing you can do. Like right now, we're pretty much in a recession. Um, people start. The the thing is, like people aren't really losing their jobs yet, right? Like that that's probably going to come. Like layoffs are starting are probably going to come soon. Um, they had this window where they could have really gone hard in uh, fighting inflation, but they didn't. Right. Like, forget the fact that they missed it. Like they should have been tightening like last year, like well before. Um, even now they could have gone harder and they still really aren't like he's going slow and controlled and like 50 bips and 25 bips. And like, that's not going to do anything. Right. Like the, the whole point of interest rates is so that you hold money like the the value of money is more than like. Uh, the, how do I explain it? You you don't want to spend money. You're better off holding it because the stuff that you're going to buy or the the, late, the rate of lending is higher than um, the money you would lose holding money, right? And we're not at that point. Like if you hold money right now, like real rates are fucking what? Like nine, yeah. eight, eight percent? It's very poor. I mean, I think like there's, people who there's a valid argument to be made that like, we're not really doing anything to inflation by raising rates right now uh, besides tackling demand, just, just inducing demand destruction. Right. Like that's yeah. the only thing that's doing. Reverse um, wealth effect. And you know, the, the impact of the rates itself, like as the actual mechanical impact of like interest rates on, you know, people making choices between holding treasuries versus like holding equities. Yeah. Um, is, is less effective than it is uh, just like uh, demand destruction from lowering I, I, prices. I, I, and, uh, yeah. Um, and then like that's, so, so then the, the question is like in the U S and in Europe, uh, what's the level where that, where, where, where we actually get to a point where you can have like real rates positive uh, and a functioning economy. And I think, you know, the debt to GDP, both in the U.S. and in Europe, is far too high for us to actually yeah. sustain positive real rates, which means that, you know, we can't get to, like, the neutral rate, quote unquote, relative to inflation without in breaking, you know, the ability for either, like, European governments or the U.S. Treasury to, to pay the interest rate on its debt. Um, and so, you know, that necessarily means that at some point, um you know, unless we're going to see a, def a sovereign default, something has to be done to, to cap rates, right? So, like, I think that's really, like, whatever event causes that is what we're watching out for. I think the event that causes that is not a level in stocks or crypto or whatever going down, but is 
a resource constraint, like I noted, whether it's, you know, just the Fed's ability to finance or more, you know, presciently the European government's ability to kind of keep its people warm and provide energy um, due to kind of the, the wartime constraints and regulations being placed over there and kind of just their really poor policy choices around energy for the last 20 years. Do you, do you guys feel yeah, it's intentional out of curiosity? Because I feel like this this outcome is pretty predictable, right? Like people were talking about this for a long time. Yeah. What, to introduce some kind of new order? No, like not, a... even, not even. I wouldn't even put it that way. Are we right? getting conspiracy? No, 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 no. I, okay, first off, I'm going to be real with you. Almost every conspiracy we've heard in like the last 10 years was right. Like yeah. no soul outside <laughs> yeah. of outside of uh, the flat earth or whatever. The whole like the gang of like pedos who like sacrifice kids. There's you have Epstein. Um, yeah. The the microchip tracking vaccines. You have the guy from Pfizer saying we're openly going to do that to like induce compliance. <laughs> like almost every conspiracy that the crazy people said for the most part has some semblance in truth. Like I I I think they're crazy too. But like eventually I don't know. Who knows, man? Because it, it does kind of feel like it was intentional. Like you can't just print infinite I mean, amounts of money and not expect this to occur. It, it's funny because, like, I think um, you're right that it was uh, relatively predictable, and that's probably what drove a lot of like what's will drive the next like giga bull market in crypto, which I think is going to be literally the biggest bull run we've ever had in the space. And then two. Uh, you know, what's got us here in this crash in the first place where we kind of play this like game of believing the Fed, and, but everybody kind of knowing what the next step is at some point down the line. We just don't know how far down the line that is. And I don't think that, unfortunately, the people, um, you know, I think I think the people at the Fed more or less know the constraints. I don't think a lot of the people in Congress creating fiscal side policy, which is a huge part of this, understand the constraints. And uh, the fact that we cycle through people so quickly in the U.S. and Europe in uh, you know, on the fiscal side as well, it's not helpful. And, uh, you know, there's uh, the whole other side of this is the energy conversation, which is probably, I think, going to drive a huge number of issues just later this year in Europe. And that's driven by a whole different set of political interests with, you know, really no care for like economic constraints of what of providing energy. And that's <laughs> turning into, you know, a really huge problem where it's not necessarily intentional, but also was a very predictable outcome by people who understood the whole situation. The energy situation is hard. It costs a lot of yeah. capital up front to like produce a bunch of energy. And yeah. with the whole like shift to like ESG and people pushing for renewables, like it's kind of hard to incentivize those companies to like put down that much money for like a short term problem, which they're going to have to invest a shit ton of money to produce all that oil to like get it in line kind of right yeah I, I don't know the government will literally have to like either i don't know outright buy oil as like a like collective bargain situation kind of thing which is a temporary alleviation even that's going to be really bad for the market but like outside of that i don't really know what they do it's and like this long term you know it's a long term investment too like there's really nothing that they can, there's no there's no there's physically no way for europe to like provide itself with the energy it needs like this fall and winter yeah. it, it can't it's it's beyond physical constraints so it has to come from either opec you know pr really pumping hard and i don't i'm not an expert enough to know if that fills the gap but realistically it comes from russia so um you know that will likely i think continue to strengthen the ruble which is not really tradable but it also likely continues to push energy prices higher and the euro lower um and uh, that's going to have, you know, effects throughout all markets. Yeah, and to, to jump in, um, you guys were kind of talking about, like, you know, when does this end? I think one of the big things is if there's, like, any kind of rumblings in the debt market, because, I mean, that's really what, like, the whole house of cards is built off of. I mean, if you crush the denominator, then everything's worthless. So I feel like they'll keep pushing to fight inflation until they get to a point where, you know, they're really worried about breaking something in the debt market. Um, I also had a question, if it's okay, I hate to jump in front of the macro part, um, a basically technical question. So I was watching, uh, cantering your stream yesterday, and also had been following um, CVS as far as the RSI on the daily for ETH and Solana in particular. And you were kind of talking about with these moves that the first move into CPI and kind of through that has been, 
you know, like a fake out move essentially. And there is kind of like bullish divergence going on in some of the crypto assets. So I'm just curious if you even think with the move, with the follow through we've seen so far, um, if it's too much already, or if there's any way we can regain strength, you know, going into the weekend or just like how you kind of view uh, what you were talking about yesterday now that it's kind of played out. Yeah. So I, I just started looking back at, at RSI. I used to use like when I, back in 2017, I used to always have the CCI on the chart. So just to have something that makes uh, momentum a little bit clearer rather than just looking at it with an eye test. I mean, you could see that clearly there's a divergence in momentum um, more recently, you know, compared to when we broke down on like May 6th, all the way down to May 12th. So, you know, a slowdown in momentum doesn't necessarily mean like prices have to turn, but it's obviously one of the, you know, this is a very momentum driven market. And when things are drastically oversold on high timeframes and, and certain trend tools start to go green and you have signs of momentum having cooled down to the downside, it's, it's, it's a, a reflexive market once it's clear to everybody that, you know, possibly, uh, you know, we've seen the extent of downside momentum and you get sort of that pylon effect. And I think that it's a lot of times very self-fulfilling, but it's more, it's more actionable. I think when you don't have like a, a macro driver, like we've had for the last, you know, for the last year. So I, uh, I, I personally, like it, it looks like, honestly, we had, so this morning we had like brief period of strength uh, between BTC and the equity indices. And, and it was like, the S&P was down 2.6%. BTC was down like 2.2% at one time. It was, it was holding relatively strong. And I was wondering if, like, as I was looking at, at the ES um, and looking at the S&P, we were approaching, you know, a high time frame pivot point again, like reapproaching the lows. And the last time that the S&P approached uh, 3,800 for the first time, BTC basically front ran that. So it was, it, I almost got the impression that, you know, a lot of the times you're not going to see the S&P just kind of like take out a, a, a major low just in one move. Um, you'll see that, if anything, that you'll have some, you know, significant period of chop unless it's like very catalyst driven. And I don't think like I don't think we're at that point right now. Um, I don't think we're going to like just nuke off to, to new lows necessarily. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, going into the weekend, it's possible that I think that uh, clearly Bitcoin needs to hold. I think clearly uh, Bitcoin needs to close above. Um, You want to get some kind of close back above 30, ideally. Uh, So it doesn't necessarily, you know, we have six hours left in the day. It doesn't necessarily look like that might occur. And that would be like a, that'd just be a kind of a technical signal to, I think, a a good amount of people. There is a good, there is a, um, someone uh, scooping up a decent amount of, of Bitcoin and decent in the, uh, in the thousands on, on Binance and consistently trading too, actually, actually uh, having intent to get filled. Now there's been like, there's, I don't know whether it's conjecture or whether it's really actionable. Um, someone was talking about uh, maybe a, someone who had a larger options position on between 30 and 32 K and then basically gamma scalping with like thousands of BTC. And that, that's not like my area. No way. But... No, way. <laughs> no way. That's way too complicated. I was watching this guy before like Twitter started posting it. And yeah. I don't know if you caught this right, but this guy actually sells a lot of his positions. Like he he's more, his profile is more interested in defending the lows than it is yeah. pushing price. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like if, if, if price reaches a certain area, he'll, he'll stack a wall. There were times where he'd pull the wall and then try to get filled lower, push up and then yeah. sell slowly out. Right. So this is someone yeah. who's both panicky, but is more interested in like holding like market structure, it seems than trying to like get filled at any price in my opinion. And the gamma yeah, scalping looks... thing, not in this market. It's we're too immature. Yeah. Well, I, I tend to agree when it comes to anything options related in this market, the market's not deep enough yet. It's not like we're talking about S and P options, which are, you know, massive. So, <clears throat> Um, yeah, I mean, the guy definitely, uh, I, I've, I've watched him basically get filled and, and panic as well. Um, it's not like he's like that dodgy though, where he's like, he has no intent to fill. I, I mean, it's a good area to expect that it's possible that we see, you know, uh, a temporary bottom develop down here. I mean, if anything, like the, I, I mentioned this a couple of times, like we have so many, you have basically every kind of sign that you would want to see, at least for a temporary bottom in this market. Yep. Yeah. You know, if it was, if it existed yeah. in a vacuum, it'd be one thing. Like 
and even silly things like we have you forget like sentiment i mean if you look at i was looking at um 25 35 delta skew yesterday and normally longer dated skew like longer dated tenors tend to reflect just some kind of positive outlook so like 180 day skew is never really that negative even march 2020 it's usually your shorter dated stuff that's getting very defensive and and you know it's it's priced pessimistically i would say um all that has been you know very negative we're talking beyond march 2020 uh, if we look at like advanced decline in equities today, it's like 95 to five. Like it, it's it's worse than 2018. Yeah. I mean, you have basically a, any media outlet, anyone who could gather any press is super bearish on crypto. And then one thing that I like is like, it, it, hey, it's basically a reflection of peak sentiment in one direction is you had Barron's, the, the magazine cover just recently with the like Bitcoin crypto winter is here sort of whatever language they used, but the cover of the magazine was that. And the last time Barron's had covers was 2017, 2021. And that was 2017 in December, basically around the high. And then April, 2021 at the first high. And then October, 2021 at the second high. And, you know, so, so it's like you have all of these signs that you'd normally want to lean on, at least to begin to say, all right, you know, you know, clearly uh, we're at an extreme, you know, we're oversold technically, Position-wise, very defensive, whether you're looking at, you know, basis or whether you're looking at options. But again, like it, Bitcoin is still moving multiples of what the S&P is moving. So if we did have, uh, you know, a multi-sigma move in the S&P, like there's, there's no possibility, in my opinion, that Bitcoin's just like, no, this is the time when I'm going to, you know, deny, uh, you know, a very significant move down. So it all depends on, you know, it depends on the S&P holding, I think, 3,800 which I don't, I, I don't want to just write it off and say that it's not doing a decent job of, of, of doing it so far. It's, if anything, it would take some time and, 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 and develop down here. Um, but I mean, we'll see. We have FOMC coming up in, you know, a short amount of time. And uh, it's it. Yeah, can I ask you something, actually? Because yeah. I was thinking about this with a couple of my friends who are around as well for a long time. This, it, you, I agree with you, and I'm I'm long context from below is on ETH right now, thinking we close above seventeen hundred. If we don't, it is what it is. Um, I I I normally would position here for a bounce relative area. It's holding well, thirty Ks and being lost for the most part. Um, my my issue is, the last time we came to thirty K, if you remember, we tested the lows multiple times. We wicked below it the last time in May. And then um, everybody was like on their PCs, people shorted the lows, everyone was talking about zero, and then the price reversed, right? And participation was high, there was a lot of short interest, people were actively yeah. like looking at the market. This yeah. right now, to me, more feels like a deep bear market, where it's like participants are anemic, almost to the point where like nobody, nobody gives a shit, kind of. That, that's kind of like the vibe I get. And I still think we're going to bounce, just like you. But that's what I'm battling, battling in my head. It's like, is this market just actually dead? Like, are people just like giving up completely? I well, I mean, it's, it's definitely deader because, you know, if you imagine that after the first May crash last year, you wiped out a significant amount of participants right off of that. And then what you did is you, you pulled more people back into the market and you wiped them out again. So just by, you know, passage of time alone, it's it's almost like impossible to deny at this point that a significant portion of the market market is now in the grave. Look at Bybit a right? lot. And forgetting like, yeah, forgetting like um, the Luna fiasco and forgetting everything that, you know, takes place in alt alone, just BTC has wiped out, you know, a, a significant portion of the market. Now, I do think there's a lot of people, a lot of funds, a lot of larger participants that are just sidelined. Um, and it's almost like someone is, everyone is waiting on more confidence to arrive from other people, which is just not going to arrive. Right. So yeah. at least in the short term, I, I, no matter what, I think that we retest the 26 area. Um, it's just very unlikely that, you know, maybe we get some kind of short term rally and before then, but I think it's more likely that this has, has, it's going to be going lower again. I, I don't think like it's necessarily going to, it doesn't need to go below 20. I'm not thinking that far. But I, I think like, you know, you said, we're like deeper in the bear market right now. Um, if anything, all my positioning is just very short term. After this, like after what we've been through, I have no intention of like trying to buy the bottom. I, I could care less. Yeah, I'd rather that's... buy like 
Yeah. Significantly higher. <laughs> I'd rather never, buy above thirty five. You're never gonna yeah. buy a bottom. Whoever talks. I did that last time and lost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. It's just the, there's no confidence when you buy at the bottom. That's yeah. the issue. No, and and this market is also when it comes to some of the like longer, um, longer time frame, momentum based, trend based tools. This market is very momentum driven. When you start like ticking off all those boxes. Yeah, you're you're late by then. You know, you're you're a couple, you're, you're a few thousand dollars late by then. But at that point, like when the tides have 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 shifted, um, it's a move you have to be patient for. But nine times out of ten, you get a, a significant amount of follow through. So I'd I'd rather wait for you know market structure levels to be reclaimed for signs in that in those trending tools to show that we've you know at least gone from a period of moving down to sideways to you know holding those new levels. Um, and then after that, you have a little bit more restored confidence in the market. And this is all, again, sort of preface, you know, this is all built on the idea that equities are more or less doing the same. Yeah. Also, there's a couple crypto specific things kind of going on that I think are starting to get more steam. It's kind of like when, uh, you know, people talked about the UST DPEG for a while, but like it started picking up steam into like going into May. And then, of course, it happened a week in. The two things are one was Celsius. Um, it seems like they had a lot of exposure to the Terra ecosystem. And then I can't remember the other thing, but um, that seems to be picking up more steam. And it's not just like a tether, like, you know, FUD kind of scare you out kind of thing. Like it has more legs. The other is this, uh, the staked ETH to ETH, um, basically ratio. So that's at 95% of the ETH price right now. Um, from what I understand, there is a decent amount of leverage built up with staked ETH, um, that could get hit for an unwind at some point, if that ratio kind of falls and, you know, there's a lot of people trying to work on in governance about possibly defending that peg. Um, I don't know if it needs to be defended because kind of, I feel like it should be discounted anyways, since you don't necessarily know when the, the, you know, proof of stake ETH is actually going to be redeemable. So, like, I think it should be discounted in some way, but those are, like, two things, I think, that are very crypto-specific that could hit, uh, maybe not on the, you know, UST level, although Celsius, I feel like, would be a pretty big one. They have a lot they of have a lot of STE, like, a lot of yeah. STE. They have exposure to everything they, that's risky, it yeah. seems like, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> which I guess is how they pay their, lend, you know, their lending rates. You, you'd, you'd want, you wouldn't want to interfere with STF, you'd want the market to arbit out. Right. Yeah, I mean, if, I would if, think if it's a redeemed opportunity potentially. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that is a bit of alpha to people in this call. Go on the low, go on the STF pairs on your exchanges with low liquidity and set very low bids. If it does crash, there you go. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, the, the the issue that I have with this drawdown, man, which is what's screwing with my mind, it goes against everything I know about markets. To like. For me to believe that this is going to start making new lows from here is like we've already been relatively down only since 60. People, the average retail participant is either sidelined or calling for zero, right? Like markets don't actually go to zero providing they're not a, providing they're not a scam, like in a straight yeah. line to zero. They just don't go from whatever they're at to zero. It doesn't happen. Throw a ball in the air, there's always bounces, right? Like the bounces get smaller and smaller, but there are still bounces. There are people who are sidelined, who will buy back, who have fundamental belief in said protocol, said asset, said whatever, right? Like, but we're not bouncing. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm torn in my head. It's like one it's side of me is like we're, we're cooked. But the, the yeah. other side's like we have to at least bounce before we go to zero because that makes more sense. Like I'm, I was super bearish high time frame. But even I'm like we have to bounce before we go lower. Like there's too many people who want to buy cheap. And the market would just be easy mode if you just sat out for like, five months and then got to buy the bottom. Like, that's not how it works. Here's what I would comment on that. Like, it, coming from the perspective of somebody who, like, trades at one of the major market makers, um, like, I think, like, one thing to consider about this drawdown, and this is one that is recognized as, like, absolutely a bear market. I think, like, like the last couple, like, major drawdowns, most recently in September, um, were not, like, you know, considered necessarily to be, like, consensus bear market drawdowns like this absolutely is and a lot of the players that drove the price higher um you know into the 60k range for btc or into all-time highs for other alts were like institutional participants where it was their first cycle 
So for us to bounce in a meaningful way, like closer to those numbers, um, it, there has to be something that, that brings that money back. And that's not the same as like in previous cycles where all it took was retail or, or you know, even high net worth individuals positioning for a bounce. Um, you know, when the pre when what drove price higher earlier in the cycle is different asset base, then it takes, you know, it's either going to be a different structure on the way down to, or it's going to take a different catalyst to bring that money back to, to push price back up to, you know, closer to those levels that, that we saw. So I think like from what I'm seeing, you know, there's a lot of just still like, it's not even like overwhelmingly bearish. I think there's just a lot of like uh, hesitancy to like get, get deeply involved. And I also think like you can tell, um, you know, what is just like short covering bounce versus what is like people repositioning, uh, you know, from an institutional perspective based on, you know, what whether or not you see, like, call it like on a higher time frame, like four hour or daily plus chart, like these, these, these pumps that don't just immediately get like a, a decent haircut faded right away, like the pumps that end in some sort of vertical accumulation that continue trend for a little while. And like, that's a little bit obvious to say, but at the same time, I think lately we've seen a lot of like little scalps, little short cover bounces that just get faded immediately. And that's not something my, that's going to have any sort of institutional momentum behind it. My, my issue with that is when you use the term institutional, um, my, my first immediate thought are VCs. And the difference between this cycle and previous ones is the capital in this cycle is like way more diffused. Like there really isn't much... Um, capital that people put in a BTC, right? They're all in locked up VC tokens and they're just waiting for liquidity to dump on, right? Um, so I don't, I don't think the, I don't think the BTC base is as in, uh, as like VC driven or whatever. As like, well, I wouldn't, disappearing. I, I wouldn't even really classify. Like... <clears throat> oh, go ahead. No, I, I was, I was going to say when I think of institutions, I don't really even think of VCs, honestly. Uh, because uh, honestly, a lot of VCs out of this cycle were just individual people on CT who yes. made a lot of money yes, projects and, and then became VCs. So, I yeah, mean, I, the, I, the markets for like VC coins and for BTC and ETH are very different, which we've seen. And like, I do think like just the unlock schedule is going to be an impossible thing for a lot of the alts to manage. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on them and ultimately provide really viable opportunities probably in a couple of years. But like for majors, there, there, there legitimately was like institutional asset management allocation, uh, yeah, on, on a on a reasonable scale that has pretty much left right for the time being. Yeah. So, and I would know, say that that's something that's to keep in mind. yeah, that's probably why we had the kind of tops that we had too. We have like these rebalancing style tops, yeah, rounded sort of as opposed to blow. Yeah, off. exactly. Yeah. Do y'all think um, if, like, the institutional players hadn't come in this time around like they did last, that we wouldn't actually have seen that last, like, basically after the summer 2021 lows, like, the push-up we had going into November? Like, if those entities weren't around, do you think we would have even seen that? Um, I don't. I actually no, don't. I don't think so. No. I, I actually think we would not have made an all-time high. I, if, if you look... Like if, if you were like actively looking at the market for the first run up to 65 versus the second at 69, Completely the second to 69 was like, it, it felt fake almost to me. Like it, it felt just pushed over and over and over by like a, a few entities that just actively wanted price higher. It, it was very different. The, well, the first, was, I, sorry, go ahead. It wasn't all about a lower volume too. That too. Uh, Doug, I can't really hear you. Your mic is a. Uh, he said it was done on lower warm, volume, warm, and he's warm. right. It was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we would have. Uh, I don't think we would have had honestly that at all because re it, it takes a lot more lifting now at higher prices. That's just kind of a general rule that to expect. I mean, unless you're talking about just no ask pressure at all, but especially when you have institutions involved, like if institutions are getting involved, they're, they're happy to, to get out at the multiples that they had. They're not just like, you know, your, your Twitter user who buys and kind of holds and hopes that they get, you know, a 10 X they're, they're happy to get a multiple of what they would normally return, you know, just through uh legacy. So. 
Do you think Grace Hill's ETF getting approved would bring institutional money back? I don't think it gets approved anytime soon. He wants oversight of exchanges. Yeah, that's inter- it's interesting because the Grayscale, what they, they have like some hired gun now that is like, uh, <laughs> he, he's uh, like a shark as far as litigation goes. So I don't know. I feel like the market's getting really confident right th- around that because the market just wants to find something to be confident around. Yep. Um, but it's weird. I mean, it's everything, there's just, everything is taking place right now. We got to this point where it's ahead, we're at ahead and it's, it's like a, when it rains, it pours moment. You have all this stuff from a regulatory standpoint, just kind of piling in. Now you have actual, um, you know, enforcement taking place. You have funds blowing up, projects blowing up. I feel like there's a hack, like a couple of hacks every week. Um, I don't know. It, the the bill, you know, the, the Loomis bill, which probably has no chance of getting passed at least this year. And we're still at 30. With all the things yeah. you said, with with us facing nuclear annihilation, with Vladimir Putin, <laughs> we're still at 30. With all the stuff that's going on, it's insane to me that we're actually still here. Like, if you've yeah, been in here for like more good, than right? a couple of years. <laughs> it's not a bad outcome. I mean, look, no, it's up 1.3% today, even though yields are, are mooning. So, like, I think there is some some understanding of like the uh, uh, of these macro assets like maybe having some strength sometime later this year and people positioning for that and I think people will position for it slowly and form a slow bottom like kind of like we had slow tops this time. Um, yeah. But I don't know exactly where that lies. But yeah, I mean there there is <laughs> a lot of bad things happening and the price is not that bad in the scheme of things. Yeah, honestly, you have to kind of commend markets because, I mean, even though like S&P top of book liquidity like dried up tremendously in the last six months, I mean, after you have, it's just a matter of like after you have major events, like whether you're talking about, uh, you know, Black Friday or March 2020, markets do adapt and begin to structure differently after you have those kind of events. Um, So it's not like, I mean, you still get your completely unexpected black swans, but Comparatively speaking, you know, we talk about what has been thrown at the market in the last, you know, almost a year now. It's uh, it's done a good job, you know, so. You notice we have less liquidation cascades as well. I, I don't know if that's, to, I, I think it's like a combination of exchanges now having circuit breakers. Like BitMEX had it, we would have went to zero without them. But like Binance, I feel like introduced it not that long ago and so did FTX. You could tell like the exchanges literally freeze completely. And yeah, I think that kind of prevents us from having these like insane, well, plus the maturation of like the base that, that are trading, right? Like everyone, like all the retail apes got wiped in the yeah. May crash, which a lot of people don't talk about. That crash was insane. Like that actually completely changed the way the market traded. If, if you look at Bybit, oh, why? It, it, was, it was consistently number two. And then now it's yeah. just gone. Like, it completely erased. Like, all those people were just deleted off Facebook. Luna Earth. got a lot. <laughs> or, like, Luna UST. It took a lot of people oh, out. Oh, and, and that, uh, too, on yeah. On the retail yeah. side. I mean, like, that was a major event. And we're still processing that from a liquidity perspective, no doubt. Like, that's definitely contributed to why this range has been, like, so excruciatingly boring for the past month or so. Or since that, basically. I mean, people are, there's fewer participants. just, you know, plain and simple. Yeah, to yeah. pick well, not like I, so I was using Anchor to get some yield on just like what I had. And I was like fully aware of the DPEG scenario to where like I would exit as soon as it started <laughs> a little. Um, I actually ended up taking it out like a week and a half before that happened. But I did go and like, you know, sell the rest of my cryptos when I saw that peg start breaking that I still was hanging on to. So to me, it's like I was aware of that. And I'm like, and I'm pretty normal in this space. So it's like, I knew a ton of people that were using that and maybe didn't understand that, you know, it was something that could happen. And that's a lot of people that came in that got introduced to DeFi, you know, yield farming, all that stuff's been going on for the past two years. And then you get hit with that on something that you may not know is safe. You know, you may think that it's safe or whatever, because it's a stable coin. That's going to take a ton of trust away. Um you know, from using crypto and stuff in general. And I just think it's going to take a long time for people to feel that way again, unless, you know, like you guys are saying, if there are more institutions at this point, although I don't know if there's really enough, 
that maybe it would turn around quicker. So to me, it seems like we're going to have another like longer bear market. And I don't know for crypto if it's as simple as the Fed, you know, eventually pivoting, like maybe it would be for the stock market. Uh, I just think that a lot of froth is still kind of out there in the crypto market and hasn't been kind of destroyed yet. Um, so we'll see. That's yeah. true, but I, sorry. I do see like short term bounces for sure could happen and all that. Like I'm not, you know, opposed to any of that happen, but I just feel like to get back to where we were I think, a uh, long time. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that was really uh, kind of, that was talking about well, many things, but one of the worst things about the, the collapse was that it actually brought in a lot of people that really didn't care about crypto. And honestly, like people that just saw it as like a great alternative, you know, form of yield, like people that were, introduced through maybe their kids or younger people that were involved in the space, but they, they put some of their savings in it, but maybe they didn't even necessarily have any other positions besides being in, um, being in Terra. Like I've heard a, a bunch of stories similar to that, where it's like, they didn't even have any interest in really any BTC or ETH, but they just thought, okay, this is a great form of, of yield to, to put our savings in or, you know, our kids college education. And so to have no real connection to the rest of the market, but then, get involved on behalf of that and then get wiped out. That clearly is really, really shitty, um, needless to say. But I mean, I think that the one benefit that crypto does have now is that it is, it is more correlated to legacy. And, and I, I'm not like willing to write off, if you're not, for me, if it's like, if you're not willing to write off the S&P for a period of time, like you can't be really necessarily, you can't be willing to really write off crypto too far because you know, we see that they are correlated. It is sort of like a, a, a a play on tech almost. Um, so I, I think that, you know, we're looking into probably 2023, you know, at least Q4, 2000, and then 2023. But uh, there is a lot of froth in the market, but it doesn't take too much to get people reinterested in besides just some sustained higher prices, honestly, like a, a, a decently long period, you know, decently, uh, you know, multi-week trend will, will bring people back into the market and, and get them greedy again. Uh, but again, I think it's a matter of there's a lot of people that are just waiting for something to happen. Um, and yeah, that it's going to leave us with uh, with boring times. But I can't really see this going like I, when people say a really long bear market. I also think like, well, we've actually, you know, according to how I've been looking at it, we've been in a bear market now for a while. Um, and, you know, if anything, maybe we are maybe we have another six months to a year uh, before we bottom. Um but I can't see this honestly being something that is like uh, setting any kind of historical precedent in terms of length. Another thing that I think is positive is like, you know, as far as like our prospects of having another just ripping cycle is that now at least BTC dominance is going up and, you know, I'm not like a, a Bitcoin maxi by any means, but I think like it's healthy for the markets to consolidate into kind of the least far out the risk curve crypto asset. And, you know, as uh, has been mentioned, like a lot of these alts have like horrible overhang vesting schedules that are going to just doom them for the next couple of years. And that's fine. Like, don't hold them. But like, it, you know, what, whatever innovation comes down, uh, comes out down the line when there's better momentum in, in Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, you know, is going to set the stage for kind of the next uh, innovation run and, you know, probably huge price bubble in, in alt assets. But like, for the time being, I think it's better for, for crypto prices for most attention basically to be focused on, uh, you know, Bitcoin as a macro asset and then ETH as kind of like the base layer or the merge is likely to come, you know, at some point this year. And, you know, we'll see how that affects price. And um, nonetheless, yeah, like I think the slow bottom or even like a bottom, you know, kind of near this price level, but then a, a slow kind of sideways chop is interest continues to fade and maybe fake outs each way. It makes a lot of sense, um, you know, before something fundamentally changes and gets people back into major assets. And then, you know, as it's happened in the past, that kind of spreads down the risk here. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the Bitcoin and ETH stuff. Um, I mean, especially Bitcoin. Um, ETH definitely seemed to have shown more strength this time around, but it's kind of faltering now, um, finally, in comparison. But, like, I mean, if I remember correctly, most of the alts that did well in 2017-18, or I guess really just 2017, but they didn't bottom out until March 2020, as opposed to Bitcoin bottomed out in what, like... Uh, second half of 2018 when it actually hit its official bottom 
So, I mean, for alts, that's like a long time. Potentially that could happen again. Maybe not, but I mean, whenever Bitcoin goes down over time, it's just going to, you know, you crush the alts more. And you could have bought Solana at 20 bucks in July 2021 before it yeah, ran up. Yeah, what, what was Luna, like, like 10 yeah. bucks then? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean like, you, it's no problem to start off with the majors and then wait. Like, people trying to buy the bottom in alts now are just, like, not not going to make it. Like, they're just, no. like, they're, yeah. They're, Hit that last time I didn't work as well. <laughs> I was gonna say they're also they're also wrong, right? Like if you look cyclically, if you look at the alts in of the previous cycle, almost none of them made highs versus BTC. The only ones that did were the ones that launched in the bear market, right? So you don't have that overhang of like a crushed user base that are going to sell into any upside, right? Or or like new projects that launched this cycle. The projects that probably launched already during the bull market. I don't really think they ever make uh, all-time high versus BTC for the most part. There'll be exceptions. Like BNB was an exception. Um, there was a couple, right? It was like two or three that were like big back then that like made all-time highs relative to BTC. But outside of that, none, right? And I feel like that's going to be the same thing this cycle. Like if you're going to pick alts in a bear market, you buy the stuff that's new. You buy the new yeah. narratives because yeah. the, the, the user base isn't people who've been burned willing to sell into anything what does that what does that say about like the future of like i mean unless you really think that bitcoin and ethereum are going to be really the only things that are useful at all in the future what does it say if year after year you know these other blockchains that maybe have some promising aspects can never like recover it's a joke i think think only btc you just think it's yeah i even think eth is pretty shit like i've always been of this opinion when it comes to market I think that one of the, I mean, this it's it's a symptom of of this market though. Like it's been easy to like move fast and break shit in this market. Like there's not exactly like the the biggest barrier to entry in the last couple of years to creating a token. You know, with uh, with NFTs, like every single per anyone could create an NFT in a project. So I think that's just a, a function of there being like a, a lack of any kind of significant filtering mechanism compared to like something like looking at the equity market, right? Where if you want to go public, like you can't just like have a fucking idea in your bedroom and then suddenly have a, a multi-billion dollar uh, company that's trading, right? Or an idea that's trading. Um, so I think that's like, I, I think this market will just generally have until there's more regulation and like more integration with traditional markets, I think it'll have like a really weird version of Pareto, where it won't be like, you know, oh, like 20% of the stuff goes on to <laughs> return uh, the, the, the bulk of the, the market share, but it will be really skewed. And it's like a, a, a percentage of a percentage uh, until this market is, again, more regulated and there's more barrier to entry for actually getting involved in creating something. So I, I think that I mean, this is probably a good reason why um, most of this stuff goes to shit. And, and when people get burned, it's like, like you said, I, I for one, am like, I'm looking at things that are right now, I'm looking at things that are relatively new, like didn't really even have a chance to, to have their major run um, because they were just, you know, poor, they, they were born at the wrong time, but they don't necessarily die in the vine, but they, they just, it, it's going to require a, a, a significant refractory period before, you know, we could expect them to really do anything. So, yeah, I was, I was also curious, how do you guys look at stuff that comes out late in the cycle? Like maybe pumps a little bit, but doesn't in like looking at that going into like the next cycle like is there is link something like that historically that may be similar (laughs) i'm just curious jesus well no no what i'm saying is like didn't link come out towards the end of yeah link 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 had its own yeah link had like a narrative that it dominated right the oracle narrative, like the price yeah the thing the thing about alts are it's like the reason why BTC, outside of it being the first, right? LTC was around almost as long as BTC was, right? LTC came out in 2011. It's still garbage. The, the reason why, um, a lot of the reason why is that BTC does well is because it's like it has its lane and it's conquered it, right? Like most of these yeah. alts, you don't know what they're gunning for. They're all competing against each other. There's going to be an alt that comes out that replaces another one that says they're better at X or Y or whatever. And it's like it's going to be a constant recycling of the same alts competing for a limited market share for a limited sector in this market or a limited whatever they're trying to gun for. Uh, that's my issue with alts for the most part. And it's also why I don't think ETH will ever flip BTC because there's always going to be things competing against ETH, 
like so, like Luna, like Solana. I, I mean, I get where you're coming from. I, I, I disagree a bit in that I think there have been like a few, you know, under 1% of things built during this cycle that will see new all-time highs, even though they're wrecked right now. And, uh, you know, that that are alt projects. But, you know, I think that's just going to be something that kind of every, every, you know, run, which we may have like less kind of four-year segmented runs and more, uh, you know, correlated to macro condition runs, especially as the, you know, impact of BTC halvings diminished. Um, you know, I think we're going to see some innovations that kind of stick around uh, that, you know, can, can survive. And I think, you know, there are certain kind of, DeFi infrastructure pieces, um, you know, it, automated mark like basically Uniswap and Curve only that are going to continue to be relevant, um, you know, down the line. I think certain borrow lend stuff is going to be, you know, relevant down the line. And I think um, even though Solana is like complete trash, I think that they'll find a way to pump that again. Um, and yeah. other than that, you know, like other than that, I don't know. Well, my issue with that is what do they do, right? Like DeFi doesn't do anything. The yield comes from literally lending out money to people speculating. Like the yield is speculation. Yeah, I mean that right? is a use case. That's, like, so that's, of... that's a good, pretty good use case. That's one. And then yeah. like um, two, I think you know there will be. I I feel like going long human innovation to integrate that into the real economy is a bet that you know I think is is worthwhile. I, and, yeah, and I maybe maybe I'm naive, but I think over time slowly people will actually start to use this stuff for kind of real economic transactions. It should have happened by now. It's been a long time. The way I view alts is just... Well, there's only been one cycle for DeFi. There's been one cycle for DeFi, yeah. right? So. I don't know. Uh, DeFi, maybe, but it's like the whole narrative around DeFi was banked the unbanked, and now it's like shifted to just lending out yield for people well, to I mean, it's, it's, on. It's, right? I mean, think about it this way. The, in you know, the email, the first email or first message from a computer was sent in 1969, right? So it, it took a really long time before that had any kind of massive impact. And it was like uh, a major part of our lives. And there's a lot of other innovations that sort of have, have similar um, chronology as well. So, I mean, we're, we're what, 13 years in now, 14 years in, what are we, 12, 13, 14? I can't remember. Like um, about 13. Which is yeah, not even I mean, really what we're I, talking I, I, about here anyways, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think it's really important to understand that like things have been happening at an accelerating pace uh, in the last like two decades. But um, I don't think it, it I don't think that with all the innovation that the crypto market is trying to to establish and create, I don't think that uh, we should expect it to happen that fast. I mean, we all might be way too early with our assumptions of how things how fast things are going to move in this market. Yeah, there's also some barriers. It's like. So one thing, if you're going to have, I would assume institutions with like big money, like privacy is going to be a thing that they kind of need to be moving funds around and stuff on a blockchain, whether they want to use DeFi or something else. And others, regulations, and then also the custodial piece. I could see yeah. that being a barrier right now as well. Like I can't imagine, especially for some, like somebody offering a pension fund, that they can risk having private keys that they could possibly lose or mess up and all that money is now gone. Like, I well, feel like, the, you know, they have other they, ways of doing it now, but it's still like in the process of being developed. So there are really like developed institutional custody solutions and that's going to continue yeah, to get integrated MPC, as well right? with that. That's good. So there's, there's, there's a few like prime brokerages in crypto that have borrow land trading and custody that institutions can plug into and kind of the normal custodians on the banking side are going to kind of integrate there too. And I think that's a problem that's going to be solved. And then I think like, as far as institutions participating in DeFi, there's a few things, like a couple teams like Maple or like Ave Arc that are working yeah, on permission pool, <laughs> that are working on permission pools that are, are likely to, you know, at least have some traction with uh, institutional borrow land in, in DeFi that satisfies the KYC requirements. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you we think there are some really barriers, though, right? Like right now, for those entities to kind of fully get in, right? Yeah. Like the barriers that can be solved, but that exist today still, or did in this sure, last cycle. Sure, but it's a lot yeah. better than it was even two years ago. You know. Gotcha. Sure. I mean, think about like think about when you when you 
when you tune into like any of the Senate hearings or any of the, the congressional hearings with respect to crypto, like there's such a lack of understanding uh, from still. I mean, you have to remember, like we're all in an echo chamber for the most part all the time. Um, and, and basically at the, you know, not maybe not everybody's at the bleeding edge, but we're closer than, you know, 99 percent of people that that have been part of the legacy financial system for for eons now um, and are like at this point you know, well into their 50s, 60s, 70s that still are controlling significant amounts of capital in the markets. And one of the major things for them is also just the idea of smart contract risk. You know, like you said, with respect to pensions, like the the idea of smart contract risk in in DeFi and something not necessarily been completely worked out. And, you know, we had something with Luna occur, but you you could begin to let your imagination run uh, with, with regard to how how it might be possible for other major blowups to occur, um, you know, down the line. And so there's, a, I think there's a lot of barriers still to entry that are just, they're not just uh, from like a custodial standpoint, but also from like a uh, psychology standpoint as well and a lack of understanding. My, I'm like kind of on the opposite side of all of you. Um, my, my issue with the way I view alt is similar to like GCR. It's, it's long, the human need to gamble to get out of the rat race, right? Like nothing in this space has really done anything for the most part. Like BTC, you can understand what it's trying to gun for. You can understand what ETH is trying to gun for. If like we used to care about stuff like privacy and all, nobody cares about that, right? Like now it's just, I'm going to buy X alt so I can dump it to get more money to buy next alt to dump so I can get more money, right? It's just, that's all it is at the end of the day. Like, I, I don't know. It's yeah, just, cas- just casinos, casinos with casino bridges. <laughs> <laughs> Let me bridge from one casino yeah. to casino two to take my money from the first casino to the second to speculate on like the games that this casino has that the other one doesn't. It's like okay, hey, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's bleak right now, but I I think it would be kind of like even I like I talked to GCR and even you know he's he's very one sided with that, but even he he knows that there are things that are going to come out of this space that. You know, they might not even like we were just talking about. They might not even be things that we're really aware of right now. But it's still, it's still relatively early. And I also think it doesn't help that like alts have this kind of moniker or, or uh, you know, um, you call them alts, for example. You don't call them other cryptocurrencies. They're already labeled as like something that has a negative connotation. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I have to. Uh, we're approaching um, over an hour now. I have to wrap it up. You guys want to add something before we uh, call this one? Set low bids. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, definitely don't don't buy yet, but it's been fun. Yeah, yeah thanks I, for the time. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, this one was, uh, I enjoyed this. I think we'll, every Friday we'll do something like this and it will stick to a topic. See so who wants to come up and talk on the topic. So for anyone who didn't, um, who didn't get a chance to talk, everyone who popped up, I gave permission to call in. So I, the difference is with this one, I think you might have to um, select something different on your end because I noticed consistently people were popping up and I was allowing them to speak and and uh, only Doug really added on after that. But it's been a pleasure, guys. Um, tried something out different. This is uh, this is similar to Spaces and I think Spaces has some has some benefits. So yeah, have a great weekend. Don't die out there, and I'll uh, talk to you guys again on Tuesday.